you know, I was open to that suggestion. Um, but, it, you know, it sucks to know that the spiritual abuse caused so much pain, uh, not only to me, but it affected like my kids and kind of like the way that I guess that maybe a healthy brain should function. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, like there's a lot of yeah. steps to this healing. Um, and it's hard. Welcome back, everyone. So we are moving into part two with Dulce and Derek sharing their story. For those of you, for those of us, for those of you, I have definitely been here before and I definitely know who I am. For those of you who don't, back up and go to part one because where we're going to jump in here today really isn't going to make any sense. It's not going to be that kind of a part one and part two where you can just sort of pick up, you know, with the start of this. So please go back to part one and then come back here after and join us for part two. So with that, I'm going to jump right in you guys with where we left off. Generally speaking, I'm going to pick up with that question again, which was what was the catalyst for your exit from the group you were involved with? I wish that I had a really simple, like, Hey, this is like my exit story, but it was like an, like, I think we had talked about it in the last episode is it was an eight, eight month long journey. It wasn't just like, Hey, we're going to leave by this is it. Um, but it was like really like pulling teeth, getting me out of there. And so when our ex pastor had made a post on Facebook and it was like really passive aggressive towards like my husband and like, we all kind of knew the language, um, surrounding that post. Mm -hmm. Um, when we had decided like, okay, like this is like, we're going to go. Um, and I had, um, I had talked to uh, my life group leader at the time and told her that, you know, um, we were deciding to leave and gave her all the information about like the women in, in the group that I, that I was leading. And um, of course, on my last day that I was supposed to just close the group, um, I agreed to a meeting with the pastor and his wife. Um, and that was, you know, going in alone was not a good idea because that's where there was a lot of manipulation and yeah. Yeah. And um, I want to say a quick part on that too. So um, I wanted to sit in on that conversation like desperately mm -hmm. and I begged her, um, but she really wanted to, you know, go in alone. And so I trusted her with that. Um, and so it was, it was really hard for me to uh, allow her to go into the space um, alone. Um, again, knowing the history of the last eight months. Yeah. And, and the reason that I was like, oh, like, I'll like, I already made my decision. They won't mm -hmm. talk me out of it. Like, you know, like, I just I was really naive to, like, to the fact that they could do that. And so well, like, and, yeah, well, and Dulce, if I'm remembering correctly, from when we chatted last time, you were in a different place, right? I mean, the decision you were making was really because you wanted to prioritize your marriage, not necessarily that you saw this group as a cult. Correct? Right. Yeah. So going in, it's like, did you have more of that feeling of like, well, I'm going in to talk to friends, essentially, like, we're just having a life change. This isn't, this doesn't need to be a whole big thing. Yeah, I mean, I really just thought the meeting was going to be like, hey, thank you for everything you've done. <laughs> like, right. Just like a simple goodbye. Thank you. But um, that's not what the meeting was about. It was basically them saying that, um, like what I was doing didn't make sense to them. Um, it like for them, 
it didn't make sense that God would lead me out, especially with how fruitful I had been as far as like the size of my group. And then I was just like sitting there confused, like, oh my God, like, what am I doing? Like, you know, Dirk is expecting me to come home with a closed group, not with a 21 day fast, because then they're like, maybe you should sit on it and like fast for 21 days. And then like, you know, just to make sure. And I was like, oh my, like, I was like freaking out. I I really was. Yeah. And I think something important here too, is the language uh, that they use is like, they were waiting for her to hear directly from God on what to do. And Mm -hmm. the thing is like, you're, you're putting someone in a situation where, I mean, you're expecting them to hear directly from God on something rather than looking at the Bible, rather than opening up and saying, this is what the word says about this. This is, um, you know, uh, sub- submit to your to your husband and looking at those verses. Rather, it's like, let's hear from let's wait for some personal revelation, which mm-hmm. is likely never going to come um, in a really clear, audible way like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can see where, I mean, they would be pulling at anything they possibly could. And of course, the prioritization, it sounds like, was not your relationship between the two of you. It's the group, which we often hear, right? It's like, I mean, the group I was in, it's one person's in, one's out. Well, they're not really, you know, part of the the truth. And so just get rid of them, you know, divorce them. And it's just, it's, it's terrible. It's definitely not biblical. So Dulce, when they were talking about a 21 day fast, was that like, was that taking a break from being a part of the ministry or was it like, are you talking about not eating and drink? Are you talking about a fast in what sense, I guess? Um, both. So okay. taking a break from the ministry. Um, so for those 21 days, um, the group would be meeting, like they ended up saying that my group would be meeting with my life group leader. Um, I wouldn't be like serving anywhere. Um, and also like fasting, like, you know, like a meal or whatever that looks like as well. And praying, of course. So not no food for 20. I'm sorry. I got stuck on that. I'm like, did you literally not eat for 21 days? Um, It was normally just like a meal or two um, for those days. Yeah. Okay. Part of my concern with that, you guys, um, would be for a group to suggest an extended period of time of fasting, like to that length of time, that's really going to affect a cognitive, someone's cognitive ability. Like they're going to get really cloudy, just really fatigued, just unable to think straight and probably become either very irrational and aggressive or just really tired and agreeable. (laughs) We're going to get some sort of extreme happening there. And it's, it's not necessarily an intentional tactic depending on the person, but it certainly can be. Right. Yeah. yeah, fasting there was pretty normal. Um, I I fasted pretty consistently while I was there, um, like throughout the years. We did we we did participate in like the Daniel's fast, where like you only ate like non-processed foods, or mm-hmm. there was even a few times that we did like three days no food at all. Um, so it wasn't like abnormal for me to like oh you know hearing about fasting. I was like okay, this is you know to what hear more. Yeah, it was more about what we do and. Um, this is how we hear God more is, was more the idea. Okay. So what happened then? Did you do the 21 days? Um, yeah, it was technically like 20. Cause then they messaged me like the day before and they're like, Hey, like, so have you made a decision? And it was your life group leader that messaged you, right? Right. Yeah. Pastors. yeah. So my life group leader messaged me asking me, it was like a Sunday morning, like how I felt God was leading me. And at that moment I was like, I had already like, like I had, I had stopped listening to their sermons for those 21 days. I stopped like engaging in, in anything with the church. 
Um, I didn't hear anyone else's sermons either because I just, I didn't want to be like biased in my decision. Mm -hmm. And by then, like, I was already like pretty set, like, okay, I'm going to leave. Like, this is it. Like, and so I messaged her like, Hey, like, I really feel like God is wanting my family to stay united. So we're going to find somewhere else to worship together. And it was just like a quick, like, thank you. And, you know, God bless you kind of a message. And that was Mm -hmm. it. And then you also asked if you could uh, say goodbye to your group. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for uh, reminding me. So then I asked if I could say like a one last goodbye to my group um, that I had been leaving. And I was declined that opportunity, um, which really hurt. <laughs> um, I, rem- I remember mm-hmm. feeling angry and just kind of confused because I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah like for me to not be able to say goodbye and um they just they for them it was more the way that they communicated that to me was um oh gosh I wish I could remember a lot more <laughs> uh, they didn't want to confuse or cause any more harm um to yeah. the girls and it's already been caused by you yeah, not like, leading the group anymore they wanted them to start healing already mm-hmm. if that makes sense um is that they just wanted them to, to start moving forward towards healing and so it was just kind of like okay yeah um, I mean, on that too, it's a pretty consistent thing. When someone uh, left the church, like a leader, like my friend Daniel that I mentioned before, mm-hmm. um, he was told to not talk to his group and his group, um, myself uh, being one of his friends, um, were told not to talk to him. And so it's really the um, the final stage of cutting off the relationship and the ties mm-hmm. um, to make sure that they can't influence the group, uh, the members of the organization. Yeah, it's so unfortunate. And I, I'm sure you guys experience this. Like if someone is, if someone it has to leave the church and we, we need to put up a boundary because say they're, it's just a toxic person. They've been abusive, whatever it may be. And it's like, we just, we need that person to not come back in because we just can't trust what they're going to do. That's a different situation than of course, what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. When for, for people to be able to heal and for them to move towards healing, them having that closure and that conversation, the relationship is huge. We want people to be able to have that anytime they safely are able to do it. And so for them to block it, and again, we this isn't necessarily uncommon when, when leaders block these conversations from happening, it really is painful for those who are left behind. And like you said, it's painful for you too, because you don't get to share really what your heart is in it and to let them know like they're loved and they're cared for and they're prayed for. And this isn't you leaving them. I mean, you, I mean, I don't want to project this here, but would you have been open to them even maintaining contact with you in some form, potentially the individual's? Yeah, I, I would have loved to have, you know, yeah. contact with them. And um, right. it was hard because when, again, that day that um, that I was told that I should fast, um, that was the first time that the girls in the group had even heard about what was happening with mm-hmm. between Derek and I. And so they were just confused. They're like, what the heck? Like, this came mm-hmm. out of nowhere. And um, they're being told that Derek has, like, the spirit of error, that... Um, I don't need to submit to him. And like, you know, so they're hearing all this stuff for the first time. They're seeing mm-hmm. me bawling my eyes out because I couldn't even talk during that meeting um, once I met with the girls. Um, and then they were told that, you know, she's going to fast for 21 days. She's going to, you know, you won't see her for the next 21 days. And then all of a sudden they're just told, okay, she's not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so just, it looks yeah. bad. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, it's an abrupt termination of a relationship. I mean, so there's a shock component there for people as they enter into the grieving process. It's like, I don't even know what happened. And so then, of course, it's left for those who still have contact. They get to fully fill in that narrative. And yeah, yeah, it is painful. And I've, I've seen how it gets filled in on my end, too. It's like people just make up what's going to fit, you know, the yep. agenda and the rest of the story. 
it's hard. Yeah. And for me, since I had, um, I never had a conversation about like, I'm not attending this church anymore, but after the conversation mm-hmm. with the, the pastor, he says, well, we'll see what happens to your marriage. If you leave at that point, I just stopped going and stopped having contact, um, with the leadership there. Um, and then on their end, I found out later, which I'm not surprised by, um, they were telling all of my friends, even like the godfather of my children, um, to not talk to me. They were, mm-hmm. the leaders were telling people to not talk to me. And so, um, it wasn't so much I'm saying you can't talk to anyone, but rather, uh, mark and avoid this person, um, mm-hmm. who left our organization. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead. I was just, so really it's, it was an excommunication process, Absolutely. like unofficially maybe, but yeah. just the same. Yeah. And it wasn't like a major sin issue. Like I wasn't, um, you know, again, it wasn't because of a sin that I left. It's because right. I disagreed with the theology, and that mm-hmm. they saw as like the ultimate sin of not submitting to the pastor. And so, ex-nay, excommunicate, all that stuff. Oh, you guys, I'm so sorry. There's so many losses that you've taken through this. It's huge. Yeah, it was hard because I know there was a group that I that I led, which I cared and loved deeply, and then there was the group that I had attended you know where i had my own leader and it's like these women were telling me like on my last day there that oh like we love you like we're always gonna you know gonna be sisters and like saying all these things but as soon as i had finally made that decision to leave like did not hear (laughs) from them and it was like oh you know and like i mean it hurt you know it hurt knowing that the friendships were conditional on whether i attended their group whether i attended the church um, it was painful. And, and again, like I looking back, I can see like, I guess kind of like those layers kind of being shedded and me kind of recognizing like, Hey, like that hurt. And I don't think that was okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So was that the end then? Uh. <laughs> um, so no, um, after the 21 days, we decided not to attend anymore, but again, we'd been in contact, like I mentioned my friend Daniel a few times now, with other people that had similar experiences mm-hmm. um, of real tremendous like spiritual abuse, um, mm-hmm. people being shunned, um, people having awful things said to them about them. We'd been in contact with people that has said their, their kids were told not to associate with them anymore. Um, a lot of really destructive stuff like that that was like literally destroying families. Um, and so we ended up reaching out to um, the board with a letter from my wife and I I mean, their board uh, isn't what I would say a healthy board because it's no one local. Um, They have a pastor in Hawaii. They have a pastor in Olympia and they have a a pastor in Oregon that don't have like regular contact with the the congregation um, with pastor. I think they talk more regularly, but um, so we, we contacted the board because uh, there's like I was saying in the beginning, there's no like local accountability for him. That's the only recourse that we had. Um, And so we, wrote our letters and we had two of our friends write letters as well. And um, they started a, what they called an investigation, but really what it was um, from our understanding is um, they hired a counselor to give counseling sessions to the lead pastor. Um, but they refused. We asked multiple times. They refused to actually have the counselor that come in came in, um, talk to us or other victims. We also said there's more people that want to share their stories. Would you, would you please uh, read their letters too? And they said, no, we're good. We have everything we need. Um, and then at the end of like a six week counseling sessions with the, the lead pastor, we got a letter, um, saying that it was just a mis- miscommunication and difference in leadership styles was everything that went wrong. Um, but again, that's like, there was so much more than that. And they refused to actually hear victim stories. And so at that point, um, we'd already been posting just about spiritual abuse in general terms, not mm-hmm. legal. 
but at this point, because the church wasn't holding him accountable, um, we did go public. We named them on our personal social media pages. Um, mm-hmm. A few other people did as well. Um, and that was quite a few months that we were kind of embattled in, in, in that. Um, and it, it was really sad that the board and the investigator didn't take these things seriously. Um, and they thought it was normal. And so it really makes me question mm-hmm. their practices in their churches. Like if this is normal mm-hmm. in, in this church, like what does it look like in yours? Right. Um, is just a question I have to ask myself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would agree. We could probably at least speculate some things that are concerning. So that involvement happened. They give you that unsatisfactory response. Mm-hmm. Six weeks. I mean, six weeks is not going to do much. And uh, I mean, my goodness, I are you? Do you know if that person was still active in ministry while he was having that six weeks? Yes. Of therapeutic oh, wait, wait, wait. Um. I think he may have actually stopped speaking for a few of those Sundays, okay. um, if I remember. But he was still actively the pastor. He was still actively leading. Um, I just think he he took a few weeks off of speaking, if I remember correctly. Right. And and the okay. congregation did not know. Oh yeah. Of the investigation, they had no idea. They were definitely not not um, not transparent about the investigation whatsoever. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it takes a lot more than that. I think we all know it, right? A lot more than that. And sometimes it's just that person can't be restored to a position of that nature. It doesn't mean they can't be restored in general, mm-hmm. you know, to, to Christ and to community, and but not necessarily to a leadership position. So yeah. was that it? We're going to keep going. I'm going to keep asking. So was that the final or what was the final where it's like, okay, we've now had a period of no contact? Yeah. So, um, there was a few times when the associate pastor would like reach out and say Merry Christmas. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'd respond to him saying like, unless there's like repentance, um, Mm -hmm. for what you and your congregation have done to my family and these other people, like I, we can't have contacts. Like it's, it's not healthy. Um, that's like crossing a boundary. Like Mm -hmm. if you're going to treat me, my wife and other families like this, it's, it's not healthy. Um, and so I asked him kindly um, to separate himself from me and not, not message me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was like the last contact that I had with the associate pastor up until a recent uh, event that I'll share in a moment. But Dulce, do you want to share it all? Um, yeah. Um, the last contact that I had with leaders. Um, um, well, I haven't talked to like the lead pastors um, myself since that last meeting that I had with them where they suggested I, that I fast. Um, and then after that, um, I was put on like a group text with Derek, the associate pastor and his wife, who was also my life group leader at the church. Um, this was already again after we had left. And and this was before the Merry Christmas text, um, yeah. mind you. And so this is the type of stuff that I needed to set a boundary around. Yeah. So they basically said that what we had been posting was like not cool. And again, they were just quotes from the book about spiritual abuse. <laughs> like it was like mm-hmm. nothing like targeted. Yeah, it was yeah, this, yeah, but before we we named them. Yeah, and I think this was in the middle of the investigation. I can't remember quite, but it was it was during that summer. Mm-hmm. And again, there was just a lot of like gaslighting that was happening in those messages, and um, and it hurt, you know, because it's like these people like knew like I was trying to explain myself because I also felt I felt terrible because during that time those during those eight months of Derek trying to get me out, um, like I didn't make Derek seem very like an, an amazing husband, because I also mm-hmm. was, I thought he was 
being awful. I thought he was crazy. Mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. that we weren't on the same team. Mm-hmm. And so trying to keep our kids away from the church. Yeah, trying to keep it. So like the example of like trying to keep our kids away from the church, like for me, it was like, oh, that's controlling, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, I guess, depending mm-hmm. on which side you're on, like it can look controlling or it can like it can be they're trying to keep our kids safe. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, like I'm, I'm sharing with my life group leader during those eight months, like everything that's going on, because we have no boundaries there, like we share everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know that I had painted Derek in a bad light. And I had, you know, I had mentioned in, in those messages, um, you know, about how I felt bad about doing that, and how I shouldn't have done that, and how they should have just told me to follow my husband, and not, you know, to, to not not submit to him because of him not submitting to the pastors. <laughs> I know that was a terrible <laughs> sentence. Um, but, you know, so it was frustrating, like being told, like, like there's just, I wish I had the examples, but <laughs> it, it, it was just, it was not a good conversation. And, mm-hmm. and I hurt to know that these people like did not see, like I was pointing out like, Hey, your message right here is gaslighting, <laughs> like trying to show them exactly. And they're like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you feel that way. And so, um, after that, I even received like happy birthday messages, um, even up to this last year, um, which would have been like a whole year and a half later, I received a happy birthday message from, you know, my past life group leader. And I also had to tell her like, hey, like, um, and like, I'll be here for you if you ever decide to leave this church. Mm-hmm. Um but to protect my peace and my mental health, like it's best that we not talk. Yeah. And so again, it was like, we've had to, for me, I've had to draw yeah. that boundary. And I want to be really clear about something too. So uh, the reason that they do things like that, and I would do things like that as a leader there, it's like, that's, that's how you, you love people um, mm-hmm. by sending happy birthdays, saying hi in Walmart and all of that stuff. They make a really big deal about these things. And so it's, the idea is really, they want you to ignore the negative behavior and just focus on the good things. And the good things mm-hmm. is me saying happy birthday while ignoring the gaslighting, while ignoring the disruption in our marriage, while ignoring the shunning um, at the same mm-hmm. time. And so, again, I really want to be clear, like they would use that ag- against us in a way, but it's also, that's a type of manipulation in a way. Mm-hmm. And it's also just not healthy to be clinging onto these relationships that are so harmful and damaging. Yeah, I, I appreciate what you're saying about that, both of you. It's, it is a... It can be a way of hoping people will forget mm-hmm. and that they'll just move on. And like you said, I mean, it's, it's so much, it's so much nicer to remember just the good. Mm-hmm. That would be nice, Yeah, but it's not reality. And it opens us up to getting re-victimized. And I know that that's what you yeah. two are kind of keying into right here. So that would the term be the, how I would put it is like you mm-hmm. guys were tuning into this could suck us back in. And there hasn't actually been repentance. Mm -hmm. Like they haven't repented for it. And I was just talking to someone this past weekend. I'm like, repentance in theory can just take one. I mean, that can just, repentance can just take one person. We only have to have, reconciliation is going to take two people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It might be way more than two people. It depends on how many are involved. And so to be sending happy birthday without saying, I want reconciliation and I'm willing to repent and forgive whatever is required in order for that to happen, because I know I've done stuff. Maybe someone else has done stuff, you know, whomever, like I'm willing to come to the table and have that conversation for genuine reconciliation, whether that means we move forward in an active relationship or not, because it may be or not, but that's not the offer you are being given. Instead, it seems 
again, the heart intention for some people maybe may have been well-intentioned of, well, I do still care for them. And so I want to let them know I'm thinking about them, but you're right without that acknowledgement of all that's been done and all that is still unresolved. It sets people up for re-victimization. It sets other people off up to continue to harm others. And so, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So along those lines, um, one of the things that in that string of texts that uh, Dulce was just mm-hmm. mentioning, um, the associate pastor on that actually said, um, you're like, uh, this isn't going to be a, a direct quote of paraphrase, but like you're conflating your bad experience and you're forgetting about all the good things that happened here. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, so that's not acknowledging the eight months that almost destroyed our marriage. Mm-hmm. And that's also what an abuser would literally say to, you know, someone they're abusing. It's like, uh, think about all the good things I've done for you while, you know, going and taking you to the back room and beating you. Um, it's re-victimization, it's manipulation, and it's incredibly not healthy and not a good way to go about relationship. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like you guys were struggling with remembering that there was some good, or you wouldn't have been grieved by it. You wouldn't mm-hmm. have been hurting if you didn't Absolutely. remember that there was some good there. So yeah, yeah, I mean, some people can be at risk of that. They can all of a sudden paint people like all bad. It's like, well, that's probably not fully accurate either. Mm-hmm. The tension is that, you know, humans have both, but some people are heavier on one end than the other. And it's mm-hmm. good for us to be aware of that. We need to be aware of that. Yeah. So have you guys had any contact with, whether it's the group leader or other people connected with the group since this final end after that eight-month process? Yeah. Um, so actually, since our last interview with you to now, we actually, I sat down with the, the lead pastor. Um, mm-hmm. It's not something I expected. Um, but I was at a funeral, um, and he was there as well, as well as my friend Daniel. Um, and there's a conversation, and uh, Daniel and the lead pastor set up um, a time to kind of talk things out. Um, because when uh, my friend uh, Daniel first left, he thought that he was just leaving because it was like an unhealthy um, organization. Um, he didn't see anything really major, like uh, theological concerns or anything. I mean, he's just like, this isn't healthy for me and my family. I need to get out. Um, and so, you know, eight years removed from that. And he's like, there was false teaching. There was abuse. There's systematic abuse. There's issues here. I want to talk this out with him. Um, so I don't know exactly what the pastor's intentions were with meeting with us. I can assume, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me and Daniel, it was to call him to repentance. And so uh, seven of us total, it was myself, Daniel, Daniel's pastor. Um, it was... Uh, the lead pastor of our old church, his associate pastor, and two of his 12. Um, and so if you'll remember, those are the people right under him in the hierarchy. Um, and I would definitely caution people on doing this themselves. Um, I think I went there with some really good support, having Daniel and his pastor there. Um, but there's a lot of victim shaming. There's a lot of gaslighting. There was a lot of lying, um, name calling that the pastor did. Uh, towards myself and towards Daniel. Um, I recently actually wrote a list of names that I've been called or things that have been said about me since I left. And from that conversation, I was able to add a new one. Um, He actually called me the king of gaslighting um, because it's a term that I use to describe what he does to people that are thinking about leaving or end up leaving his church. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's name calling. There was, um, uh, he would say things like, don't take that tone with me. Um, He um, said that what my wife shared, you know, um, saying that if I didn't submit to him, she'd have to submit to me. Um, he said that didn't happen. Um, and so it, from the very beginning, we knew that it wasn't going to be a productive conversation because we couldn't get honesty from him. There's no way he was going to repent. He just, every single thing that he did, he either lied about or doubled down on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like my goal, I wanted to call him to repentance. And so 
I said, because of your false teaching, um, again, there's this whole little gods thing um, that he teaches. Um, he's in private conversations with me. He's claims to be equal to Jesus even. And I said, what you're teaching people, if they believe what you're believing, you know, you're ultimately sending them to hell. Not only that, people are leaving the church, not just your church, but the faith because of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And you need to either repent or sit with that. Um, and that's kind of how I left the conversation. It was 90 minutes. So it was really, really long. Um, Daniel was able to share his experience um, leaving his church. And again, it was just lies, denial, um, justification um, against how we were treated. I think since leaving that conversation, though, um, I think it was really good for me because I'm not afraid of going to Walmart anymore. I'm mm-hmm. thinking that I'm going to see anyone because mm-hmm. I, I have that closure and I have that. I, I called him to repentance. I feel like I did what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I faced him. And the worst that he can do is name call and gaslight. Um, and it's like, there's a kind of freedom in knowing that he can't do anything to me that he hasn't already done. Um, so yeah, there's kind of a long convoluted answer, maybe too short to that conversation, but that's kind of how that went. Yeah. And your disclaimer at the beginning, I, I absolutely wholeheartedly second that of if anyone is listening to this and is like, oh, maybe I should do that. Maybe you should. But get some good, wise counsel on it before yeah. you do. Make sure that it's it's set up well. It's the the timing's okay for you, yep. and you're you're solid and you've got those supports. Absolutely. I mean, even supports like Derek for you to come home and have. Not that this necessarily happened, but if you came home and you're like, I I know what's true, but yet I feel a little crazy right now. You've got Dulce who can say, yeah, but this is this is what's true yeah. and this is what happened and I was there. And not everybody has that. Not everybody yeah. has that second person who lived it with them. And so we don't have that that affirmation that we need. And that, again, it can what? Lead to re-victimization. Be like, yeah. well, maybe I am misremembering or we start to doubt ourselves. And yeah. then, yeah, they kind of can sink their claws back in, so to speak. So I'm glad that you had that good support. And I love that you're walking forward now without that fear of running into people because you're speaking to something that I hear all the time and I get it. And I have felt it too. We're like, you're just shocked. It's like, oh my goodness, there's that person. You just want to like run and hide in an aisle somewhere. Mm -hmm. And like, you're having a panic attack and it's horrible. And so to the fact that it diffused that for you, it may not have. So again, anyone listening, it could make it worse. So I mean, again, something mm-hmm, to absolutely. think through, talk through before you go into it to see if it is a, a wise decision or not. But I'm glad that it has served you in this. Yeah, and I want to touch on those supports because again, I have an incredible support network. I wouldn't have been able to do that a year ago. I would not have been able to do that by myself and I would not have been able to do that without the supports. And so we're in a healthy church now. Mm-hmm. We're in a life group um, that is super, super healthy, like low pressure, just good community. Um, and I shared with the life group beforehand that I was going to do this. I mm-hmm. talked to one of the leaders of our life group that I trust. I walked him through the goals in the conversation. I walked him through what could happen. Uh, you know, the, the lead pastor's tool set, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I work at a, re- a Christian rescue mission. And so my, my boss and the CEO know the situation. And so I talked it through with them. I had Daniel there with me who'd shared the same experience. I had his pastor there with me at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like you said, my wife, I had her as a support. If I didn't have those things in place, um, that would have been really challenging because going into that conversation, I was on the phone with Daniel and I'm like, hey, this really happened, right? Um, I was on the phone mm-hmm. with Bill like, this really happened, right? Some of my other friends and just like affirming to myself before the conversation um, because it'd be really easy to walk in there and say, maybe I did remember that wrong. Maybe mm-hmm. my wife didn't remember that right. Um, mm-hmm. And so again, that's, that's why I make the preface like this could have been an incredibly dangerous thing 
but it was right for me in this time with the supports that I have in place. Well put. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that so clearly for everyone. At this point, how far removed are you guys now? Can you remind me how long has it been? A couple of years? It's going to be two years. That's what um, I was thinking. Next week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So coming up on two years and then just having this experience. So Derek, you just spoke a little bit to, you know, the benefit that this ended up having for you. So you two may have different answers to this question. So feel free to each take a turn. In what ways does this experience that you had in this church continue to impact you today in a harmful way? How is it still causing difficulty or suffering? Um, so for myself, I would say, um, again, our experience is probably going to look different. Um, Derek was already like, again, kind of removed from the church a lot longer than I had been when I, when I first left. Um, At least like, as far as my emotional ties to the church, because I was obviously mm -hmm. so entangled while she was there. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I'd separated myself like cognitively and emotionally from them after the last mm -hmm. day before she left. Okay. Yeah. Um, so after I left again, like it took like a month for me to realize like, Hey, that was actually not healthy at all. <laughs> and that was actually not good. You know, after watching like a YouTube video um, where they were interviewing the authors of the subtle power of spiritual abuse. And I listened to that interview and they were just naming like all these like red flags. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, you know, it's like things began to click, but then it's like, it's like you began to like, I began to grieve like, oh my gosh, like this is what I lived through. This is what I experienced. And I just lost everyone that I've known for the last nine years. And I began getting depressed really fast. And I um, began counseling as fast as I could. Um, probably within like two, three months of me leaving, I started counseling. Mm -hmm. um, and even then I was in counseling um, weekly uh, for several months and then bi-weekly and um, which was great it's it's what I needed um, and even then though there's still the things that I mean counseling doesn't solve everything <laughs> you know there's still things like I can't take my counselor to the store with me <laughs> yeah. and um, but you know going like again going to the store going to Walmart I avoided Walmart for a year mm -hmm. um, I've would not go inside of a Walmart um, because I knew that that was in an area where people went and I did not want to face anyone. Um, the thought of seeing anyone made me sick. Um, I avoided um, certain roads because I knew where people lived and I knew where the church was. I was on a main road. Um, so I would like take an extra 15 minutes driving down like the slowest you know, most traffic congested roads that I could so that I could avoid seeing people. Um, one time I accidentally ended up on one of the roads um, that I didn't want to. And I instantly was nauseous and thought I was going to throw up. And I was like, okay, you're driving. You're calling me, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I called Derek and I was like trying to take like deep breaths. Like, okay, like, I think I can survive this. I'm going to turn on this street to make sure that I'm safe. Um, and so I was like, again, really paranoid. I avoided stores. I did a lot of grocery pickup. Um, I was my anxiety, um, like, I mean, I think I already had anxiety before we just never called it that because we weren't allowed to, <laughs> but, um, that definitely like jumped. And again, I was depressed. Like there's a lot of like the, like a lot of waves, like as far as like, you know, I was doing good and then not. And so, 
And I want to also talk about the impact that this had on our kids. Um, so we have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. So we had some loud arguments uh, during that eight months. Um, mm-hmm. I tried, really tried to just be kind and loving, but you know, there'd be nights where she'd be gone for multiple nights a week until 10 o'clock. And it's like, I, I want my wife home. And so we definitely had some loud arguments. The kids witnessed some of those. Um, and then once we left, our marriage was getting better. But Dulce was just dealing with this incredible depression. Um, and that's still impacting our youngest son right now, who's still having behavior, um, you know, concerns. Like our older kid, he's really well adjusted. But the first, like, you know, few years of this kid's life was really, really rough. Just dealing with the fallout of us losing our community. Um, and, you know, fighting to leave this dangerous um, association. And it's really sad to see how that impacted our tiny ones. Thank you so much for your vulnerability and sharing it. Yeah, you guys are not alone. And my goodness, I mean, there's, there's stuff that comes up. I mean, any parent listening to this, I mean, it may relate directly or maybe it relates indirectly to their religious abuse. Gosh, maybe it's been several years and then they got triggered and they just lost it in front of their kid and they totally didn't mean to. And it's like, okay, now I've got to explain that. And I'm trying to, you know, teach how to handle big emotions, but that's not how we handle big emotions. And oh my gosh. Yeah, you guys. And I think ah, what I think is so powerful with kiddos and what I've seen with my own is owning my stuff with him when Mm -hmm. it happens and just sharing, oh yeah, mama did not handle that the way she should have. Yep. And I'm so sorry. And you, you know, that shouldn't have happened. And, you know, gosh, Michael and I have strong personalities to begin with. <laughs> so, so like if, if something triggering happens or we're like, whoa, okay. You know, yeah, it can get loud or it can get, yeah. Loud is really what happens. Doesn't really get anything else. No one has to worry about us, but yeah, it could get loud. It's just like, okay, hold on. Like we're escalating and we don't want to escalate in front of him. We don't want to escalate that yeah. way in general. And so, yeah. Okay. How are we going to handle this? Well, and there's something, have you guys ever seen this? I don't know if I saw it as just a quote or a meme or what, but it's like, you know, who knew parenting was so much about our big emotions. Absolutely. <laughs> it's so true. And Michael and I will call each other out on that where I was like, babe, that was a lot more about you running out of patience than it was about whatever Blaze was doing yeah. <laughs> and vice versa. So yeah. yeah, you guys being able to recognize it and be able to, you know, love your kids through it. And as they get older, I think that's going to be helpful for all of us as well to be able to bring more clarity as they're able to understand more. And I think if we're raising some good, empathetic, loving Mm -hmm. kiddos, they're going to get it. And my goal, and maybe you can make a shirt about this for me, Dulce, because I know that you've got shirts coming out. It's like, you got to make it shorter. I'm going to say it too long. It's too long. (laughs) You got to abbreviate it. But like, my goal for my child is minimal therapy, but I accept that realistically, like he's probably going to need some for something. And it's like, I know that I'm imperfect and I want him to have supports outside of me when he gets older. And as that's more appropriate for him to have, like, I want him to have those additional supports. Um, I think um, with that too, there's two things I want to share on the kids. First, like I totally agree with what you're saying. So like we, we're not, we don't have a lot of disagreements nearly as frequently when they do happen. Mm-hmm. It's like, and if the kids are around, it's like, it was not right for daddy to, you know, talk like that to mom. Or if mm-hmm. I raise my voice to them, it's like, it's not okay um, for me to yell at you. Um, mm-hmm. Unless it's like a safety thing. Like I'll be clear. If they're running across the street, like healing, I'm going to raise my voice. Right. Um, but majority it's like, it's not okay for me to treat you like that. It's not okay for mm-hmm. anyone to treat you like that. And really owning that and setting healthy expectations and boundaries for them later in life. Like, it's not okay when people do this to me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I'm not a perfect parent, I fail, um, but I really want to be, like you were saying, own those mistakes mm -hmm. so they see what actual like repentance looks like. Um, and so they know what to look for in a healthy relationship. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it was hard, like, because I had just became a stay-at-home mom when, um, like, when Derek was first starting to realize that, you know, he wanted to leave the church. And mm -hmm. so there's, like, I mean, I was adjusting to be to being a stay-at-home mom. Mm -hmm. And then, like, within a year, it's, like, I'm out of the church, and I'm depressed. And I have these kids, wow. you know? And, and a cat. And, uh, yeah, I've mm -hmm. got a cat. <laughs> that was later. <laughs> I thought the cat would help me with my depression. It did not. Um, and so um, we had, like, a lot of, again, major transitions happening. Mm -hmm. and, and it was hard, like trying to be present with the kids. And then also I'm grieving, like, because everyone that I knew basically was gone and out of my life. And I'm here processing, like, what the heck just happened? Yeah. And, um, and eventually like, yeah, like I, I decided that what was best for me, like in the season was to get on um, medication. And, mm -hmm. um, and that was like, again, I didn't initially do it right away. It took a while, mm -hmm. but um, once like kind of anniversaries came around, like I realized that I was spiraling um, into mm -hmm. depression, like even further and mm -hmm. it was harder to get myself out of. And that's when, you know, I was open to that suggestion. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, you know, it sucks to know that the spiritual abuse caused so much pain, uh, not only to me, but it affected like my kids and kind of like the way that I guess that maybe a healthy brain should function mm -hmm. <laughs> and like oh okay like there's a lot of yeah. steps to this healing um and it's hard yeah and it does take time yeah i want to um but one, one thing i want to mention about the kids real quick too is you mentioned um naomi how uh we have to kind of like be careful like we, we want to talk to them about this stuff um but kind of like at de a developmental level mm -hmm. uh, so with our kids right now uh, we're teaching our older son especially about safe friends and what safe friends do and look like mm -hmm. and when he asks to see some of his old friends from the church we say um they're not they're not safe friends um mm -hmm. their their parents were not safe friends for mommy and daddy and so they're not people that we're going to spend time with right now and as mm -hmm. he gets older we'll break that down more but mm -hmm. that's kind of something that he understands a little bit right now it's like okay these people yeah they're they're not safe and whatever that means we'll unpack more for him later yeah yeah, you guys, we had an experience with Blaze when he was, he was, had he just turned two or three? I'm blanking on it now. It, it's irrelevant, but he was young, point being. And so as he's gotten older, there was someone who was no longer able to be in his life anymore. <clears throat> and so as he's remembered this person at different times, like in these different pieces, we've been able to share more now that he's five. So, you know, still five, but like there's yeah. more understanding and being able to share with him like, part of why we can't see that person anymore is because that person never said they're sorry yeah. and people can mess up, but if they really say they're sorry and they really mean it, you know, then maybe we can solve a relationship. Yeah. It depends, you yeah. know, but maybe we can, you know, maybe, maybe yeah. they can become safe, but this person isn't even sorry. And so we just, we can't. Yeah. So yeah, I totally get what you guys are saying of how can, what can we share and how can we yeah. use what we've learned to start equipping them younger? Cause I'm 100% on board with y'all of, I want my kiddo to, I want to pass on what I've learned mm -hmm. so that he's better equipped than I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause yeah, I was, uh, Oh yeah. I was gonna say, uh, terminology was like safe friends say sorry. Yes. Yeah. 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 I love that. That's great. Gosh, you guys got a lot of shirts coming. Like, That's <laughs> a good one. I like that one too. I'd support that as an adult. I'm like, safe cool. friends for me say they're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. So what about as you guys reflect back 
I know some of what you're doing now, of course, like what have you taken from it that you're using to now serve you? Yeah. So <laughs> since, since we left um, the church and after the investigation, I was kind of like, like I needed a space to talk about what happened and I didn't want to do it on my personal Facebook um, because there was just a lot of like, like I didn't want to annoy my friends and family by posting about like spiritual abuse or quotes from the book anymore. I was like, Ooh, like, mm-hmm. um, and at the time, my friends on Facebook just want to see my family. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, gosh, I don't want to annoy them or like, you know, like I, I just did it. I wanted my feed to just be about like my family, mm-hmm. um, as far as like my personal Facebook and, at the time I had a business where I was making like goal setting planners and I would, I was already making reels. And so I would like, uh, I'd do like a reel and, um, and I was like, gosh, like I could relate this to my situation. And if mm-hmm. I did it this way, um, and I, I don't know, I guess one of the ways that I deal <laughs> with, with everything is, um, humor. And so I started just, I decided to make like my own like Instagram and like TikTok. And I called it the honest, messy life. And I just started like talking about like my story and some of it was like, most of it, I think is funny. I don't know. Um, and, so, and, and some of it is Enjoy like, it. bad. Uh, thank you. And, and that, it was just, I didn't do it with like a plan in place. I was just kind of like, okay, I want to stop annoying my friends and family over here. I'm just going to create my own space here. So I can just kind of like let it out somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I started again, making the videos and I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people started relating and, mm-hmm. but it was comforting in a way of knowing that I wasn't alone and that I wasn't crazy. Cause I was like, oh, okay. Like I'm not the only one, like mm-hmm. other people know exactly what I'm talking about. And so that has just like, I've just kept making videos and I've connected with a lot of, um, amazing people, um, in the online world and, um, have had the privilege of hearing like just hundreds of stories from people who just reached out. And, you know, I always pray that, um, like when I hear their stories, you know, I, you know, I ask God that like, please don't ever let this become common to me. Um, because Mm -hmm. for a while I was like, man, like I'm, here's another story, another one. And, you know, it's like, I don't want to like allow my heart to get like hardened to that. And, um, but yeah, so that's what, you know, just bringing the cult education to Instagram and TikTok and the spiritual abuse education online. Um, that's what we've been able to do with our stories, just being mm-hmm. open and transparent and uh, mostly through videos. Um, and so, yeah. 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 I, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Jump in. Um, I was going to say, uh, Myself, it's a little bit different. Um, I So I tried. Uh, we had two pages going at the same time. Uh, she had The Honest Life. I had Reconstruction in Progress because I had to deconstruct my faith and then reconstruct my faith. Um, and uh, I was making content pretty consistently. People were thankful for the content. I would take verses that I used as a, as a, you know, a false teacher. And um, I would say, this is how I, I misuse these verses. And this is what they really mean. Um, I would break down, um, you know, the different ways that uh, cults control, um, but my mental health could not handle it at all mm-hmm. um, because uh, I also started working at a rescue mission, um, like I mentioned before, a Christian rescue mission. Um, and so I was 24-7, basically, you know, every time I'm on shift, uh, exposure therapy. I'm getting exposed to to worship. I'm being exposed to prayer. I'm being exposed to Christians, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, people that. Uh, they're not the same people, but, you know, Christians hurt me. And now I'm in a, a room full of them every single day. Right. And it was incredibly hard. And so 
between working at the mission and doing the online content, I couldn't do it. Um, like I would make a video and it would take me a week and a half to recover mentally. I do another video, another week and a half. And so it was just breaking me down. Yeah. And so I actually separated myself from the online space. And now whenever I do do anything, um, like she'll ask me to help with a video or help with a reel or something. And she can deal with all the comments. She mm -hmm. can deal with all of that because she's in a better place than me. Um, as far as the online piece. Um, but I guess, uh, what I am doing now though, is since, uh, I'm in contact with people that have been hurt by that church or other church, we've actually got some people, um, at our life group that left similar organizations. Um, and we're able to just kind of minister them and say like, that was wrong. Like God doesn't approve of that. That's not how God wants us to treat each other. That's not what leadership should look like. Um, and then at the mission, um, I don't work directly with clients. I work um, more with the, the vice president of client services and the directors and everything. But I get the opportunity to have conversations about um, what we introduce to our clients, um, how we can equip them to, you know, in their recovery when they're ready for a faith community, how do they find a healthy church? Um, what does all of this look like? And um, I'm really able to relate to the clients that we use because a lot of the similar abuses that I've experienced, they've experienced their entire lives um, just in a different form. Um, and so I get the opportunity to love people. Um, and I think I have a lot more empathy than I ever have before in dealing with people that have experienced, again, different kinds of, of abuse. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And gosh, I'm so glad you set that boundary that you needed to. I'm glad you didn't feel like you had to because you didn't. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm glad that you were able to see that and prioritize because sometimes when we come out of those high control high productivity, very busy schedule, all this, you know, we're not really being taught to care for our mental health and it's our well-being in general, like any kind of health, any kind of rest, you know, and it's just, what is the Sabbath? What is rest? What is, you know, these aren't really high concerns usually in situations like that. Now there may be some exceptions depending on, on what the agenda is, but overall, generally speaking, it's not. And so to come out of something like that and to be able to set, start setting those kinds of boundaries, just, I just championing want to champion both of you for doing that and being like, this is working for me. It's not working for you. Like we can pivot and we can set this up in a way that is going to be sustainable. And I think um, along these lines too. So uh, something that like our relationship as a couple is infinitely better than it was at the organization. And so it's a way that I viewed my wife when we were there was she was kind of like my shadow. Um, like we got married and I didn't want her. Well, it was hard to see her as her own individual person. Mm -hmm. It was hard to see her in with her own gifts. Like it, she's, she's a life leader and she's serving on these teams and she's my wife. But now it's like, she has this amazing humor that she can use to tell her story in a way that's relatable to people. Um, she has a really good, um, I guess, way about going using social media for an impact. And she is more well-known than me. And I don't feel threatened mm -hmm. by that. I actually feel encouraged that she is doing something that um, makes her feel good, fulfilled, and also I believe is pleasing God. And I don't have to feel threatened by that. Um, and it's really, really good knowing that she's my wife. She's this incredible person. And she didn't disappear when she married me, but she's this amazing, thriving individual that I can just love and appreciate and encourage and cheer lead. Gosh, I just want to end the episode there because that was so beautiful. But I have one more question to ask you yeah. and I don't want to skip it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was beautifully put and just a beautiful heart position towards your wife. So yeah, I'm going to leave that. Okay. 
Yeah. You can kiss him after. Don't say yeah. <laughs> okay. So last question, and I, I'm going to give you guys the last word on this one. Again, feel free to answer individually, or maybe you two would, would give the same answer. So whichever it is, but thank you both so much for coming back second round. I mean, several weeks later, cause I got sick and yeah. So just really appreciate you guys hanging in there for, for recording this twice. And I'm excited to, to get this out to everybody. So I'm going to leave us with this question. If you were to issue your loved ones, um, and we'll say your children, because you've got two kiddos. So if you were to give your two kiddos a warning in hopes of them never finding themselves in a similar situation, what red flag would you want them to be aware of? Um, so we've been talking about this one a lot, um, just kind of planning. And for myself, um, definitely, if they are diminishing your relationships outside of the organization run, um, like slowly and surely I let go of friends that I had before, um, the, the organization, the cult. Um, and by the time I left 10 years later, the only real relationship I had was with my mom. Um, thankfully I saw that relationship. Um, like everything else was really, really weak and really hampered because all of my investment was in the organization. I had one other friend that I've been in touch with since kindergarten, but even in, when I was in it for those 10 years, I didn't talk to him as much. Um, there'd be, you know, years when we were really wouldn't talk much, but like, that's all I had um, when I left the organization. I, I had no one. I had to restart from ground one. Um, so that does a few things. Number one is it increases your need of the organization because they are your everything. And then number two, it makes it harder to actually leave because you have to start over. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can say now I have a great relationship with my dad, with my mom, with my you know, best friend that I mentioned, with, I re, I'm friends with Daniel again. Um, many of my closest friends actually go to different churches than me, um, in town. And it's like, I have this amazing support group network, um, that I never had before because our, our current church doesn't diminish outside relationships. Um, but they actually look at what does unity in the body of Christ look like? What does honoring your mom, mom and dad really look like? And all of this, um, that was totally not valued in the organization because ultimately I was dependent on them for literally everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like the the flag would be, how would you put it? Um, disconnecting or minimizing external relationships. Yeah. Um, I think it's like they elevate themselves and they diminish mm-hmm. others. Um, mm-hmm. Like in our current church, uh, there's no pressure whatsoever to like just forsake my family. And I know the Bible talks about forsaking your family, but that's mm-hmm. completely different than just okay. like, they yeah. don't go to this church, so I'm going to not associate with them. Like, that's ripping that context completely out. Um, but yeah, so uh, making themselves more valuable and more important than the rest. And mm-hmm. again, discouraging the, the relationships outside. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the way that they put it is uh, relationships outside of this organization aren't fruitful. Um, fruitful mm-hmm. happens in the house. Unfruitful happens outside of the house. The only thing that they're really good for is bringing them to the house. Okay. The house being the church. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll leave that. We'll leave yeah, that. That's, that's a lot of words, but. Oh, no, no. I got you. And I'm like some rotten fruit going on. Anyway, all right. Dulce, how about you? What would your response be? Oh, man. Um, I would say that my. The red flag I would give my kids is that, like, you shouldn't be afraid of your pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, like, gosh, I don't know. There's so many. Sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, gosh. One. I mean, 
So you shouldn't be afraid of your pastors. You shouldn't be afraid of the leadership. Like you should be able to ask questions and like not be afraid to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think they should encourage questions. And I mean, I just think the bite model in general, like I'm probably going to like print that out and like post it on the wall. Make it a shirt. <laughs> Make it a shirt. <laughs> but like just the the control that they had over us, like, like I feel like it's so hard to pinpoint like, hey, there's this red flag. Like, because I wouldn't have known it was a red flag. It was all normal to me. Mm-hmm. And it's like the behavior control, the information control, like all of that was like, mm-hmm. that was normal to me. Like that was all okay for me. And if someone would have told me like two years ago, like, hey, like this is a red flag. Mm-hmm. I would have been like, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and to go along with my wife's so, like, when you're in it, it's really hard. Like, even when someone brings it to your attention, like that's a red flag. Um, again, it's normalized. They'll use scripture out of context to justify it. And it's like, you're weird for not thinking this is normal. Yeah, like accountability is taken like, you know, 10 steps too far. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, like, it's okay for me to, you know, share about intimate details of my life with, you know, the pastors. And, uh, but it's like, that was normal. Like, of course, now it's like, gag, like, we don't do that. That's, <laughs> that's not normal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I would say the fear, like letting them know, like, you shouldn't be afraid of the leadership. Um, you are allowed to ask questions um, and you're allowed to get answers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, of course, like, I think, I mean, as mm-hmm. they get older, we're going to teach them about like the control things that we experienced. I'm sorry. Um, the control things that we experienced um, so that they don't end up in the same shoes that we did. Because I know mm-hmm. that like we're not the only ones that there's people that had came from different churches like Derek. Um, and then people like me who had no idea, um, who didn't come from any Christian background. Um, and we both ended up in the same place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So making them aware of what those flags are so that they can protect themselves. Yeah.